Well, on top of that, uh, let me add in a couple new developments that happened. Uh, a bill was introduced to California legislation. Uh, it was a Senate bill, and I can't remember the, the Senate bill's number, but it went before Gavin Newsom. He signed it into law Friday evening or Friday afternoon. When, of course, no one pays attention Friday afternoon, right? Everyone goes home from work, and so they passed this. What this bill included was a stair step, I guess, towards uh, full-blown pedophilia. And what it allows now under California law that if there is a maximum 10-year difference between sexual activity uh, between a minor and someone that's an adult, as long as there's 10 years between the two, there's, there's really no penalties. So theoretically, what this would allow is an 18-year-old to have sex with an 8-year-old. And you just do the numbers. It's, if, as long as there's a 10-year gap, then that's allowed under California law now. You won't be prosecuted, and there's, there's, there's really nothing will happen. Please understand, we're there now. We've legalized pedophilia. Okay? That's where we're at. We've legalized pedophilia. And, and, and I don't care about a 10-year gap. Imagine an 18-year-old and an 8-year-old. That, that would be legal in California. You couldn't do anything to that person. That's not where it's going to stay. It's going to just go on the full-blown pedophilia, okay? And let me add something else to this. I mean, as, as you probably heard, Netflix has now put out a movie called Cuties, and it's made the news. And basically, it's about 11-year-olds doing uh, these competition dances or something like that in very sexual ways. I mean, so much so that uh, Ted Krug has asked attorney William Barr to prosecute Netflix as child pornography because it's, it's basically soft-core pornography pedophilia. And so amen to, amen to Ted Cruz, and I, I, hope, I hope William Barr takes it all the way and slams Netflix, man. I'm going to tell you what, Netflix has went really left lately, really bad. By the way, they're all tied in with the Obamas, and Susan Rice is one of the executives at Netflix. Does that tell you anything? That's an Obama holdover type. And so anyway, she's helping run Netflix. Well, they have turned a hard, hard left. And now they're putting out child pornography, basically. And I hope something gets done to them. I hope they get fined, taken off, whatever. But at the end of the day, you know this is funny? Not funny, I should say, but funny strange. People come out against Netflix, and they're coming out against this California law that just passed. And people are getting backlash for coming against Netflix cuties and uh, the law here. And you know what they're saying? This is how depraved people's heads are. Well, you know, you just, you just need to celebrate a child's sexuality. Excuse me? What are you talking about? I think our master had something to say to you. He said, if you harm one of these little ones, it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the deepest sea. How do you like that for political correctness? You mess with kids. Amen. You're only asking for judgment. And folks, they cross that line. You ain't coming back. Now, understand, we're believers. We're not, we're not responsible for this. So, you know, we're spared from that judgment. But my goodness, I think they better start looking around themselves and watch for bolts of lightning coming out of the sky or something because you don't get away with that one. You want to see a destruction of society? That's what does it.
But anyway, that leads into what I'm going to talk about today, where we're going to look at Moses in Exodus chapter 10, about cancel culture. Pharaoh was running his own cancel culture, and you're going to see an example of that today, when he tries to make Moses shut up. He tries to X him out, cancel him, no ability to lead Israel, and I'll show you how he does this. But I thought, isn't it funny? I was studying this this week, and I said, isn't that funny? That's exactly what we're going through today, a cancel culture. That if you and I don't go with the narrative that's out there right now, then you and I are doxxed, we're criticized, we're vilified, we lose your job, all these other things if you don't go with the narrative. I mean, I want you to think about it. What you've seen lately, you've had people lose their job who don't believe in this COVID-19 hoax. Now, we said it's on the level of a virus, but it's less than even the common flu and the common cold, and the numbers prove that. And yet, if you do that at work, or you tweet something out, man, they're going to fire you. I mean, think about it. Some of you guys have told me at your work, they are getting Nazi militant on this mask stuff. I mean, they are just so militant on you guys. It's crazy, right? And then, how about this other stuff? We're having all these fires in California, and it's hitting Oregon. And Gavin Newsom, with his deranged mind, says, it's because of global warming. Okay, we're dealing with a knucklehead here. Global warming already has been proven to be a hoax, so, but that's their narrative. You've got to believe. So if you go against that narrative, you're a climate denier. No, I'm just denying their lies is what I'm denying. Do you know what the problem is with the fires? Real simple. Because of their pagan notion of just letting everything go wild and natural, the granola bar people up there in Northern California, they have... In the central and southern Nevadas, 80% of the forest is dead because they won't clean up the forests. They won't take all those dead trees out. 80% of the trees are dead. So you've got to take those out because that's kindling. And how is this pagan to let things grow wild? Is that how Adam and Eve were told? Just there's the garden and just let it grow wild. And you act like a bunch of savages and do nothing. What did God tell Adam and Eve? What was their mandate? Tend the garden. Don't let it get wild. That means you need to prune. That means you need to make pathways. You need to clean up the environment and keep it habitable. According to the Bible, if you tended the garden, tended the forests, you wouldn't have all this. I mean, you would have wildfires, but not like they are now. You see, paganism allows things to just go wild. And you know what? You can see this in people's homes. It's the dominion mandate. You ever had people in your neighborhood that everyone's in the house is all nice, their grass is cut and screened and everything, and you go to this one house and it's just crazy, and it's dirt and it's filthy and there's cars on blocks and all this other junk and it's a nightmare, it's a disaster. Do you know what's, what really happens? You, you want to know how biblically to understand that? That's a person who is disobeying the dominion mandate. The dominion mandate says you are to harness the natural resources available to you and clean up the environment to make it suitable and habitable for people to live in, not let it go to pot. So when you go from the Bible, there is the problems we're having, forest fires. We should expect this more because they don't clean up the forests. But anyway, I do digress. If you disagree with them on any level, they're going to cancel you out. So let me give you some examples of what's been happening. Drew Brees. Saints quarterback, 
He goes out there, I think this is back in spring, and he says, hey, man, I don't think it's right that you should kneel for the national anthem. We have soldiers that we're, we're honoring. We're honoring our military. We're honoring our country. And he goes, I don't agree with kneeling to this stuff. Guess what happened? You got LeBron James as if he knows what he's talking about. And then you have the, the Packers quarterback coming out and, and, and giving his new age idea. He used to be a Christian, but he's an apostate. What's his name? I can't remember. Aaron Rodgers. He's a total apostate. He grew up Christian, and now he's like some, some new age atheistic Buddhist or whatever. I don't know. He's, he's all goofed up. So these social justice warriors, along with the political realm, all the, all the other social justice warriors that are out there, slam Drew Brees. Drew Brees is a Christian. Unfortunately, Drew Brees did not have enough guts to fire back and say, I still agree. You should stand for the national anthem. But he backed down, he cowered in fear, and he said, my bad, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, I've offended so many people. And he caved in to the cancel culture. That's what you and I can't do. Let me show you another one. Just, these are just examples of this cancel culture. J.K. Rowling wrote the Harry Potter series. No friend of ours, but is on the left. But the funny thing is, watch what the left does. They eat their own when they don't march in order. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so she comes out, and she's ticked off for women's liberation, right? Because these transgenders, guys, who say they're now females, and they're running in sports and in Olympics and all kinds of uh, events and taking female positions in jobs and whatnot, because they're calling themselves a female. She's saying, hey, man, we fought all the, these years for our women's rights and women's liberation, and yet these transgenders are coming in and taking our spots. And she says, that's not right. Well, guess what? When even their own disagrees with the narrative, they eat them alive. And they went totally after J.K. Rowling to shut her down because she was offending the transgender. And she says, I'm defending women. And they, just, they ate her alive. And because of the intersectionality, the weirdest groups get the most rights. That's how it works. It's just weird. So if you're a transgender, you get more rights than a women's liberation. Is that, that kind of thing. So again, another example. These are two, the, the two Bakersfield doctors. Dr. Dan Erickson and, uh, if I can pronounce his name right, it's... Uh, Arten Masihi, I think Arten Masihi, am I pronouncing that right? But anyway, these two doctors in Bakersfield did all the testing at their facilities during this shutdown, and they came out with the real numbers and said, hey, look, this is not as bad as they're portraying it to be. We have the real numbers, here's the raw data, and we're just going on what the data says. And because their data, their facts and evidence, but the system, but the narrative, these guys end up getting death threats. They get death threats, man. They had to put alarm systems all over their, their facilities because people are trying to kill these guys. For what? Going against the narrative. And they had the facts and evidence behind them. Then you have the frontline doctors as well. And this is Simone Gold. She was the, one of the leaders of this frontline doctors who are coming out saying, hey, what they're saying about COVID-19 is wrong. And by the way, those who have it, we can give them a hydroxychloroquine and we can give them zinc and it takes care of the problem. Why are we not doing this? And so these frontline doctors said, hey, the, the Fauci and, and, and Bricks is wrong. So now they're getting death threats. They're getting their license revo revoked to practice medicine and, and threats because they went against the narrative. So 
they're basically being canceled out from society. That's what our society is doing now. They're going to do it to you. They're going to do it to me. They're trying to cancel everyone out who disagrees with the narrative. And that's what you're going to see today with, with Moses and Pharaoh. But again, just come back to, to, to current events. What is the real fight in America? It's this. It's the difference between Marxism and Christianity. This is what the fight is. It's not racism. It's not Black Lives Matter. It's not, you know, radical environmentalism. This is the fight here. And it's the fight and the difference between we will not have Jesus to rule over us, is what our society is saying. We would rather have an atheistic philosophy called Marxism that's inspired by the devil himself, which Marx said his whole goal in life was to dethrone God. This is where the fight's at. This is what's going on. It's going on in the schools. It's going on in society. Everywhere. This is the fight. And it's the same thing they said about Jesus in the first century. We will not have this man to rule over us. That's what our society is saying. They don't want Jesus to rule over them and tell them what to do. So they want to go the way of the devil, the way of Marxism. That's really where it's at. Okay, now we go into the scriptures, and you're going to see an example of this. Pharaoh has a cancel culture himself, and he actually tries to cancel out Moses. And you'll see it. It's so amazing to read this because it's like I'm reading current events. The application is all over the place, so it's pretty cool to watch the parallels. Anyway, we're entering into the ninth plague, okay? And this is the plague of darkness. So let's start in verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness which may even be felt. Let me explain this a little bit, which can be felt. It's, your English is not translating it really correct. It's not a darkness that you can feel with your hands. It, it, the Hebrew is trying to say it's so dark that even in your own household, that you're totally almost blind in your own household and to where you're so blind. It's like you're like a blind person where you have to use your hands to feel your way around and grope. So all natural light is gone. So somehow, supernaturally, there's no candle lights, nothing. And, and they're having to feel their way around because they're like blind. And you'll see later in the text, it says they can't even see each other. That's how blind. So you and I, imagine you and I sitting here, and you couldn't see each other sitting next to each other. That's how dark it got. Obviously, this is a supernatural darkness. It's not a natural darkness. It's a supernatural thing that God put on Egypt. And it, it, it means a lot because to the Egyptians, what this meant is it meant death. When they saw darkness, there is no doubt in their minds, this was a total upending of the natural order of things. It had been overturned. It created panic because they can't move. To the ancients, at night was a very scary time for them. They did not travel at night like you and I do in cars and we have lights and whatnot. It shut down. When the sun went down, every, the gates closed and you were locked in. Because to be outside in the dark, it would be fatal to you. You would either be robbed, murdered. You could die yourself getting off a path. And, and so they, they looked at nighttime as a fatal, fatal thing. So when this happens, and it happens for three days, they go into panic mode because they understand 
that this is going to cause the crops to die. This is going to cause the animals to die because the animals got to eat the crops. And then eventually it's going to cause our death because there will be no more animals to eat and no more crops to eat. So it meant their impending death. That's how they interpreted that. So it's funny that even today, I'm not saying the darkness is happening now, but isn't it interesting how the sky is with all these fires? Did you see San Francisco this week, what it looked like over there? Look at this. I mean, does that not freak you out? It looks like you're in hell. I mean, it's not darkness or anything, but the light is bouncing off the smoke and it turns San Francisco into this dreary orange color. Nasty. That's how bad the weather is. But again, do you think God's using these fires to try to wake up these people? I think so. Wake up this liberal mindset, this leftist mindset? I think so. You know, sometimes God tries to gently nudge people to wake them up and look at the sky and natural phenomenon like that. That's sometimes used to wake people up. I hope people wake up. I hope they realize what's happening. But a lot of people are not. But God uses this, just like he did with the Egyptians, to wake them up. He's still giving them a chance. Anyway, verse 22, it says this. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Notice the three days. We'll come back to that in just a bit. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. They were literally stuck where they were at. Couldn't move, stuck in the house, can't do anything. Life as they know it has ceased. Now, interesting thing about darkness, a theological note. Anytime you see darkness, it is a reference many times to judgment. Sometimes darkness can be associated to sin. It can be associated to um, evil. But a lot of times when you see darkness happen to a land, to a nation, to something, it is because of judgment that is falling. So that's what's happening here in Egypt. Judgment is falling on Egypt. Okay, now... Let me take you through the Bible real quick about darkness. If you go into Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, what you will notice in Genesis 1 is that immediately from verse 1 to verse 2, there's a change. And in verse 2, he says there was darkness over the deep. There's a watery mass. And Moses is trying to tell us that judgment has happened already between verse 1 and verse 2. And a lot of people don't understand why does it go from God created everything to now it's a world of judgment, it's dark, and there's watery mass. It's because of the fall of Satan. Satan has fallen by this time. The original earth was created for the angels, and it was their abode. But when Satan rebelled, he lost this abode, and this abode was destroyed. And so what came out of that was a watery mass, and there's darkness, which represents judgment. And so then God recreates this earth to make it habitable for human beings in the rest of the creation story. It's not a gap theory. It's just to understand what happened to the original earth. Darkness is a symbol of judgment. Now we move on. Now you go into Exodus and you see the darkness again by God. It's judgment. Then you move on further into the Bible record. And what you will notice then is you get to the Gospels and there's another period of time of darkness. Instead of three days of darkness, it's three hours of darkness. Do you remember that? And so we go to the cross. Remember, darkness is always a symbol of judgment. So at 12 noon, darkness, this darkness of judgment, covers the land of Israel. The other reports, even from Greece and other parts of the country, saw this darkness as well. 
and no one really explained it. It wasn't an eclipse. It's a supernatural darkness that came upon the land of Israel from 12 to 3 p.m. Okay, what was happening from 12 to 3 p.m. on the cross? Well, from 9 to noon, the wrath of man was being poured out on the Messiah. They were mocking him and all these other things that they had done even prior to his time on the cross. But from, from 9 to 12, he's being, uh, experiencing the wrath of man. Then from 12 to 3, he experiences the wrath of God for three hours. At the beginning, when the wrath starts being, being put on the Messiah, and you know why the wrath is being put on him, he is taking our sins upon him. They're laid to his account. And then the judgment that is supposed to be to us is now coming upon him. And it's symbolized by that darkness. The sins of the world are being laid on the Messiah. And the first thing he says when those sins are laid upon him and the judgment falls on him, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he is being forsaken on the cross for us. And he's taking that wrath for three hours. Nothing is said by the Messiah for three hours. He stays silent. And then once the wrath and the propitiation of God has been accomplished, satisfying that wrath, at the end of it, then he speaks again. And the first words out of his mouth, I thirst. Because whatever happens in the judgment of God, there is a fiery experience to it. And the first thing out of his mouth, I thirst. Just like the rich man in Lazarus' story that he told, where the guy was in Hades, and he, he said, just drop some water on my tongue. And that's what a picture of, of the lake of fire will be as well. It's the lake of fire. It's a, a thirst that will erupt from that that never can be quenched. So Jesus experienced that. So there's another judgment. Okay, we move on. And then you get into the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, there's bold judgments. The kingdom of Antichrist experiences the same darkness. His throne and the empire that he, that he controls, the whole world, turns to darkness. So it won't be a darkness that just happens in a location. It's a darkness over the whole planet because Antichrist is in control of the whole planet. So darkness falls as judgment comes upon it. Also, during the tribulation, there are five blackouts. So like I said, the parallels between the, the, the Exodus time and the plagues point forward to the tribulation period and even the time prior to the tribulation period. So when you're looking at these last four plagues, you're really looking at events that transpire later on in the tribulation in a, in a bigger scale. So according to scriptures, there's five blackouts that will happen in the future. One right prior to the tribulation, three during the tribulation, and one when Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, there's a blackout. All natural light is gone. The world will be in darkness. And then you know what will pierce that darkness? Well, the, the, the Messiah was asked by the disciples, what will be the sign of your coming? Referring to the second coming. And he says, you shall see the Son of Man on the clouds of glory. That will be the sign. It's the glory clouds. It's the Shekinah glory. So amidst the darkness of the whole world, everybody's there in complete darkness. What will pierce that darkness is the return of the Messiah with his armies. And as he comes back, all they will be able to see is that Shekinah glory coming from him, coming from heaven down to this earth as he comes to vanquish his enemies 
and take over this world and set up his kingdom and his throne. So that's how this whole darkness thing plays itself out. It is a warning, and it also is a form of judgment as well. So I wanted you to know that theologically, all that was happening there. Let's go back to the scriptures, and it says this. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Isn't that amazing? God put the darkness on Egypt and kept the Israelites in Goshen. You see that place on uh, the map that says Havaris right there, this area? This is where the Israelis were, right there, Havaris. And so apparently all the light stayed here and everything else in Egypt went dark. So again, it proves the point. We've talked about this over and over again, and I'm going to keep repeating it because Scripture keeps repeating it. God knows how to separate his believers from the unbelievers. That's why during this period of time, you don't need to fear. God will take care of you somehow, some way. You need to know that because you're going to be uh, asked to compromise here in the future. And you've got to know that God will take care of you. The principle is 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, if you want to read that principle. But again, so in the land of Goshen, they had light. They could see, whereas the rest of Egypt couldn't. Let's talk a little bit about the attack on the Egyptian gods and the implications of this. The gods that it attacked in Egypt were several of them. The first one was Ra. This was like the, one of the main gods in Egypt. He was the sun god. You can see above his head a picture of a sun. And then along with him was Aten, and this is the other disc. You see that disc? It looks like a sun that's shooting down. This was represented Aten and also Ra, as they were the sun gods. And then you had Horus, who was the god of the sunrise, and then this was the representation of his eye, the eye of Horus. And then you had the, that was the left eye, and then the right eye is the eye of, I think Osiris, I think it was. By the way, you can see this eye a lot of times in the occultic symbols around society. Have you ever seen an all-seeing eye? That comes from Egypt. That comes from actually Babylon. Then the other one was Atum. He was the god of the sunset. And the other one was the god of light, Shu. He was, so all these gods were, were associated with the light. And what God is showing, and these are real fallen angels that they worship, real demons that they worship, who they thought controlled the light. And God is proving to them, no, the, the very gods you're worshiping are fallen angels and demons. They are creatures that I created that have went bad. I'm the one that's in charge of light. I'm the one that can black it out, and I can make it light again. And in fact, I can black it out an area and make it light here, because I'm the creator, and I can do what I want to do on that. I can suspend the laws of nature and make what I want to happen. And they can't. They're impotent to that. Okay? So that's God proving his point to the Egyptians about the gods they worship. So with that being said, and the link to the future, what God will prove to the Antichrist is, you're not God because you can't stop me from darkening the whole world. I can darken the whole world. I can do blackouts anytime I want. And you can't. And that is to prove the inhabitants of the earth that Antichrist is not God even though he claims to be, right? And so God will do that in the tribulation. So that's the link I want you to make theologically with the future. Anyway, let's go back to the text. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. Now, wait a second. Here we go again. And I know I sound like I'm repeating myself, but the scriptures keep repeating. 
Pharaoh keeps trying to bargain with Moses and get Moses to compromise. Okay, before the, the compromise, you know, keep your women and your children here and just let the men go. I'll let the men go. And Moses says, no, we've got to have everybody. And so now Pharaoh comes back and says, okay, all the little ones can go, everybody, but you've got to leave your herds back. You've got to leave your livestock back here. He's going to basically hold the livestock hostage because they know that's their property. That's the, Israel's wealth is their livestock. So he's basically like a bank saying, no, you're going to keep your money here. You can go everywhere you want, but you're always going to have to return back here to get your money. And that's what he's doing. He's making Moses compromise. I'll let you do anything, but just keep this back here. Folks, please understand that that is a principle we all need to get aware of real quick. What is happening to us is the same thing that happened to Moses. This narrative, this Marxist worldview, this atheistic, satanic worldview is trying to say to you and I, hey, look, I'll let you practice your Christianity in private, but the minute you open your mouth and criticize what, what we're doing, then we're going to shut you down. You can have your little Christianity and practice it in your home, but keep it there. Don't bring it into the public square, because you bring it into the public square, we're going to nail you. We're going to lose your job. We're going to dox you. We're going to put all your stuff out on the internet. It's coming to you and I, I'm telling you. What they're going to say is, you support Black Lives Matter, and, and we're going to leave you alone. You claim that you're a racist, and we'll leave you alone. You support the LGBT movement, and we'll leave you alone. You support this global climate hoax. You support this COVID Wuhan China virus pandemic. We'll let, you, we'll let you practice your little Christianity. You can just do it at home, though. Just do it at home. Don't go out and talk about it. What's the problem with that one? You are supposed to go out and talk about it because the Great Commission says you don't have a private religion. The Great Commission says you have a public commission. You have to go out. You have to tell. Christianity is a very publicly lived out religion, so to speak, if you want to call it that is not a private religion like Buddhism or something. We can't shut up, but yes, that's what they're trying to do. Now, this is what he's going to try to do. So he's trying to compromise with Moses. And so look what he says. Verse 26. Our livestock, this is Moses talking, our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Let me back up to, notice this in verse 25. Go back to 25. Look at this. He says, but Moses said, you must give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Did you see that? He says, no, no. We're not going to take, we're going to take our livestock. We're talking everything with us because we're leaving. But then he tells, he adds to Pharaoh, and by the way, you're going to give us some livestock as well. Nice. Now, you might think, well, Moses is just being prideful. I, I can't believe he would say something like it. No, 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 no. No. You know what Moses is saying? Exactly what God told him. He says, when you leave, Moses, the Egyptians will be the ones who give you their riches as you exodus out of that country. So Moses is just saying what God already said. Pharaoh, we're leaving, and by the way, you're going to give us the money. You're not keeping our money. You're giving it. The joke's on you if you think that's how it's going to play out. And so, <laughs> I got to give credit to Moses, man. God bless him, man. He is, man, he is hardcore. I love the guy, man. I can't wait to talk to Moses. I, I, I appreciate, man, his boldness, man. He's a, 
I I get him. I mean, he's under tremendous pressure and under stress, and he just keeps firing away, man. One of my heroes, man. He is awesome. Anyway, let's go to us. So we see with the example from Moses, but what about us? What are you talking about, Brandon? I'm going to be tempted to compromise with this. Well, let me tell you what's happening. The development of the whore of Babylon is at work right now. She exists. She is gaining a lot of people, and she is forming what we call the one world religion that we'll see in the last days. She is forming, okay? So part of what you're seeing today, these weird values, immorality that becomes moral all of a sudden, you know, black is white, up is down, all this other stuff is coming from the whore. She's very old. She comes from Babylon. She's satanically inspired, but it is the satanic religious system which is in opposition to God. So she's garnering people right now. And she has a lot of people she's collecting. And she collects these people and they they buy into what her lies are. Whatever that lie may be, you know, whether it's global warming hoax or collective salvation or Christianity is intolerant and whatever. You know all the things that she's putting out. She's going to come to you, if she hasn't already, and say, we need to make a deal. Because just like Pharaoh did with Moses, and the deal will be cut like this. Hey, you want to keep your job? Shut up. And then she's going to use clever tactics on you like the devil did with Jesus by using Scripture against you. And this is what she's going to tell you. Well, doesn't the Scripture say that he who does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel? And you're like, oh, yeah, and you're right. That's, that's Bible stuff, man. That's Bible Scripture. I, I got to provide. Yeah, that's my, that's my number one priority is to provide. Is it that your number one priority? Is your number one priority to provide? No. Your number one priority is to obey Jesus. That's it. Everything else is second to that. You must love me first before your family, before your father and mother. You must love Jesus first. You must obey him. So when the devil uses tactics like using scripture against us, he hopes you don't know the context. Okay? So he's going to say, look, you've got to provide for your family, man. You, you've got to raise them up. You've got college to pay for. You've got all this other stuff doing. You can't lose your job. You can't lose your job. So when they tell you to remove your Bible, just remove it, man. So you can just go along and get along. You don't lose your job. She's going to bargain with you as she does with the merchants of the world with money. That's what she bargains with. Your livelihood, your ability to make money. And she will say, you want to keep making money? Then then compromise with me. You do your little Christianity there in the closet. As long as you keep silent, you're not going to get fired. You can skate away. I'll let you fly under the radar. I'll leave you alone if you just give me your loyalty. Now, in the ancient days, when Christians were there in the Roman Empire, you know what it was about? It was about bowing a knee to Caesar and pinching incense once a year to Caesar. And Caesar would say, I don't care what religion you practice. You can practice anything you want. As long as once a year you bow a knee, say Caesar is Lord, and you pinch off incense to me, I'll let you do whatever you want to do. But you're going to make me the priority. I get to set the rules. And you can do whatever you want. And so this is where Christians got thrown to the lions because of this. They would not bow a knee to Caesar. They would not pinch incense. And they said, no, I'm not going to allow you to, you know, compromise myself. I will refuse to bow a knee. And they got thrown to the lions. And you know the rest of the story. 
If you go to the Rome today in the Colosseum and you look at the Colosseum in Rome, remember how many thousands of Christians died in that arena because they would not bow a knee to Caesar. Now, if they, they can sit there and, and get eaten by a lion, how about us? How about us? They trusted the Lord. Can we trust the Lord for our finances? Because the devil is going to say, you're going to have to provide for your family. But what about this scripture? It is written in Philippians. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. End of story. So when the devil says you need to provide for your family, you you can't lose your job. You tell him that verse because that verse says, I don't care what happens to me, God will take care of me. In the story. I don't have to worry about compromising because my Lord will honor that. He will take care of me. And that's what you see with Moses going on uh, in that story. And that's what you see with us today. They're going to do, I'm telling you what, they're going to try to sh- do everything they can to shut down the churches. They already have a done, re- done a real good job, but they're going to keep going, just like they're doing with MacArthur. Did you know a judge ruled against MacArthur this week again? Said he can't have services. I don't know what's going on this Sunday. I'll have to check the news uh, and, and see if he had services. But a judge filed went against him. It's just four times. Now this is the fifth time they've come against him. And so, you know, L.A. County is trying to take away the parking lot and all kinds of other junk and... I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. So here's where they're going to... This is how they'll, they'll leave John MacArthur alone. This is how they'll leave us alone. Just do what we tell you on this pandemic, and we'll just leave you alone. Shut down your churches. Don't sing to God. And you can, you can do your little videos when YouTube then scrubs you later on for offensive content, for violating standards. You see what, what's happening? The churches now are giving into this. And tell me why. What's the, remember, what's the bargaining chip that the whore always puts out? Money. Okay, so, it's, well, how do, how do you put that in church terms? You want to keep losing more money? You want to risk getting sued? You want to risk getting the county to shut you down and fine you $10,000 a day? Then keep meeting. And you'll lose all your money because we'll sue you because you're a health risk, Right? They're threatening the churches with money. We'll take away your tax-exempt status. We'll see how you like that one. See, it's always a threat with money. Always. And the churches who compromise because of that money will cave in. That's what you're going to watch. Now, on a personal level, how are they going to come to you? Same way. It's going to be a compromise with money. Are you willing to hit the ceiling at your job? Because the higher you rise up in your job, you're going to ask you to compromise more and more and more. Okay? That's, what, that's, how, that's how, how the game's played. You don't rise up to the top unless you play the game. So will you do that? Will you accept the ceiling on your money, on your lifestyle, and how, you know, what kind of career you're going to have? Will you accept that? Or are you too ambitious and you will push through that and do whatever it takes to make the most money? To be on the top of the world, to be the king. Because if you get there, I guarantee you're going to have to compromise your way up. And that's how she plays. Oh, she's going to tell you, do the mothers in here and the grandmothers, don't you want to see your grandchildren do well? Don't you want them to have a good career and go to college and do all these wonderful things? Then send them to me. I will teach them. I will instruct your kiddos. As long as you don't buck the system... But boy, howdy, if you go against Black Lives Matter, 
We'll expel your kid. You see how the games play? You want, the devil will come and say, you want the best for your kids, right? You wouldn't want them to get expelled, would you? You see how he plays against you? He's going to play your loved ones against you. And then before you know it, you, what you're going to find too in your own personal life is you keep taking a stand for Christ and all these other things that we're standing for, all the principles, your own family is going to disown you. You will see members of your family saying, you know what, I'm done with you, man. You're crazy. You're out of it. And it's going to come to your door. And you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to stand for Christ or just try to get along with the family members? That's what it'll come down to. She's, if it's not there, it's coming to you. Verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, I talked about that, and I'm just to briefly speak about that. It, God strengthened him to continue to do what he wants to do, which is do evil to Israel. So he strengthened him so he doesn't buckle under the pressure of the judgments. So he, just, he continues on his agenda. And he would not let, him, let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. There is where I want to capitalize. That's the cancel culture right there. That's the cancel culture. Pharaoh is now, he's run out of options. He realizes Moses won't compromise. So guess what the devil will do to believers when he can't get them to compromise? He threatens them with death. So Pharaoh is trying to cancel out Moses with a death edict that if I ever see you around here again, you're dead. You are going to die. Isn't that what we see today with these, these Antifa groups executing people and whatnot? If you don't agree with them, they kill you. And they threaten to kill you on social media, don't they? It's always a threat of death. And that's a coward's way, obviously, because they can't argue the facts and evidence. So they just have to be hostile with you and shut you down and even physically hurt you. That's what it's turning into here in America. And so with this death threat... I want you to pay particular attention to this. This is the crux of the passage. What it does by putting a death threat on Moses, it seeks to strike the shepherd. God has a system of authority in the world. Even in the angelic order, there's systems of authority. Even, believe it or not, in the demonic realm, there are authority lines that they continue to follow. Spiritual authority is a major deal. And this is never taught. So when God instills Moses, he's got big time spiritual authority. He's given that. He's the shepherd of Israel. This typifies the shepherd of Israel, the good shepherd coming, which is the Messiah. So it's a typology of the Messiah being the shepherd of Israel. And he is that. But I want you to pay particular attention to spiritual authority. Those whom God gives spiritual authority to will be the target of Satan. Because Satan knows they have the spiritual authority. So in Satan's mind, who's he going to go after? An underling? No. He's going to go after the leadership. That's who he targets. So the prophet Zechariah gave us this principle and said this principle would be used on Jesus. So in Zechariah 13, it says this. Here's the principle. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That came into the life of the Messiah, obviously, right? He said it himself, strike the shepherd. He quoted Isaiah. And when he was arrested, what's the first thing that happened? The disciples scattered, didn't they? And as you can see with the shepherd, he leads a flock. That's why he's the target. 
This is biblical leadership. It's lead. The, the guy in the front is the first one in. A leader in the world goes from behind and ranches and pushes and drives the cattle. But a biblical leader goes in front and they follow him. So guess who Satan's going to attack? That guy right there in the front. That's who he's going after. Okay. So they arrested Jesus. His disciples scatter. But that prophecy is actually encompassing more. That prophecy alludes to the nation of Israel. That once the shepherd is struck, Israel will be scattered as a nation. So the first part of their scattering happened in 70 AD. The second part of their scattering happens in 136 AD. And you and I have seen the unscattering as Israel has been brought back into the land, 1948, and up until this point in time. So they've been scattered for about 2,000 years. They still have one more scattering to go through, and that would be from the Antichrist. But the scattering that comes upon Israel, which is prophesied, is due to the Messiah being struck. And so when, when Jesus comes back, he regathers the flock of Israel. Okay, so that's the theological principle surrounding Jesus, but let's bring it to you and I. Who in here in the family unit has the spiritual authority? Real simple, right? It's the male. The male of every family, according to the Bible, is the spiritual leader. Guess what, guys? Guess who's targeted in your family? You. You're the main person they're going after. You have a target on your back because it's the principle you'll never get away with. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. If you hit the leadership of the home, you'll derail the whole entire home. That's the way it works. And boy, howdy, is that happening? I want you to think about this. When males forfeit their right to lead, their spiritual authority, and they forfeit that to their wives who start taking the spiritual authority, instantly the house goes upside down, especially with the kids, because they're following the wrong leadership. You have to have the right leadership. So the house goes upside down, things get twisted off, and, and, and the house really comes apart. And you can see that in people's lives. So what I'm trying to say is, guys, what the whore is going to do is going to attack you. But it won't be a full frontal attack. It will be attack from the rear, from your flank. What do you mean? He will attack you through your family. It will be your kids. It will be your wife. It will be somebody close to you that attacks from behind. It's somewhere where you're not guarding. You get attacked from behind, and before you know it, you're doing the will of other people who don't have spiritual authority. Whether that's the will of a child, the will of a teenager, the will of an adult child, or someone who refuses to accept your spiritual authority and won't let you lead. At that point, it's serious business. You're being attacked and you don't realize it. Guys, you are the target. So if you think, well, my wife's having problems, my kid's having problems, no, 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 no. Step back a little bit. The reason they're having problems is to get to you. You're the target. But you're not, you're, he's not, he's not going to attack you frontally. He has to attack you through them. And he will. And he's very good at it. Satan doesn't play fair, guys. He doesn't play fair. But he knows where to attack. Now, isn't it funny? In our culture, the culture has been reversing the roles for decades now, right? Going back to the women's liberation movement that happened in the 60s that started reversing the roles. 
And now then you move into the 70s and 80s and 90s, and now we're seeing the fruit of all this, where the culture sissified men, didn't they? Even the churches did this. The churches bought in what the society was doing and say, you know what's really, uh, this, this masculinity is very toxic. We need to make men more docile. And really what they were saying, make them more feminine, make them more passive in leadership is what they were doing. And they did it through our public schools brilliantly. And they did it through our churches brilliantly. They rewarded feminine behavior for males. They did. Hey, this is not stuff I'm making up. They studied this. When boys go to school the last few decades, they're only rewarded for feminine behavior. Boys have things in them that girls don't. And they have more more, uh, risk-taking. If there's a tree, they'll climb it where a girl will sit under a tree. But he'll climb it. And he'll jump off. Because men are built for adventure, risk, being the first there. I mean, they're, they're built that way. But our society has made them feminine and taught them now uh, to be passive because that's, that's what gets rewarded. Folks, it's worked very well. If we went to war, like in World War II, Korea War, Vietnam, World War I, with the sissification of males today, you think we could win a war with what these boys have been taught? They haven't been taught to be men. All they know is to play games. That's all. They can play Call of Duty pretty good. But as far as taking a stand, doing the right thing, fighting a good fight, they don't know how to do that. I don't know about you. I go to the mall. Boys don't even know how to walk anymore. They're sashaying. Have you seen them sashay at the mall? And I'm thinking, you need a dad to teach you how to walk, dude. Like, walk like a man. Quit sashaying like a girl. You've seen these guys walk in the mall and they're sashaying. I'm sorry. I, I, just, I, I would think they were girls. And the way they wear their pants is like a girl. Skin tight, painted on. I'm like, hey, dude, you look like a girl, man. I, I don't think I would trust you in a foxhole. I just really don't, man. I don't think you could fight. You might know how to play video games, but you can't fight. I do digress, but you understand where I'm going at. You have that kind of male grow up and take control of a family. He's not going to control the family. I can tell you what's going to control the family. It's the woman in the family. And she's going to be stronger than goat's breath. I guarantee it. She's going to see weak leadership. And she's going to step in the gap and think she's going to have to feel it. And she becomes stronger than goat's breath. And guess what? Now, the spiritual leader is the wife. And guess who she gets to tangle with? Who did Satan go after in the garden? Adam? Oh, no. He went after Eve. Now, people in the outside world don't understand the theology that I'm going through. They say, you're just misogynistic. No, it's biblical. It's not misogynistic. It's called spiritual authority. Satan didn't go after Adam because he had spiritual authority. He went after Eve, who doesn't have spiritual authority, and he wrapped her in a pretzel that she couldn't get out of. He twisted her mind just like that because she has no spiritual authority. Now, our world doesn't like to hear that, but that's the truth. And that's why we're having so much of a problem today with the male leadership. But anyway, this death threat then puts Moses in a situation that if he continues to function the way he does, he'll die. And so it's an evil thing that he does, but I'm telling you what, they're going to do it to you. If you don't comply, you will start losing your life in certain ways. That's what the threat's going to be. Anyway, the last verse, verse 29 
So Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. And the idea here is this, that Moses is is telling Pharaoh, you don't even know what you're talking about, but what you say is prophetic. Because you have crossed the line now, you put a death threat on me, you're never going to see me again, ever. This will be the last time you get any measure of grace, any measure of mercy, because you've crossed the line, and you're not coming back, buddy. And, And I want you to understand that. You will never see my face again. There's coming a time, this world hates us. Because they hate Jesus. They would love for us to be off this planet. They would love for us to be dead, gone, get out of here, shut up. They don't even want God here, right? And just like Moses said, you and I can say the same thing to this world. You have spoken well. You will never see the church again. And that will happen at the rapture. They will get what they want. You want want a world without salt and light? You want a world without my church? You want a world without the morals that I gave the church and and ask them to, to, to practice? I'll give you what you want. I'll just take them home. Okay, playtime's over. Time, we're done. Pack up everything. I'm taking them away. You virtually could say the same thing Moses is saying right now to our culture. One day you won't see us again. It'll be too late. Some application before we wrap things up. Real quick. In this culture of silencing people, what's happening, you and I have to refuse to be bullied. Do not let them bully you or try to shut you down. Because remember, they tried to bully the apostles in the book of Acts, and they said to the Sanhedrin, hey man, you tell us if it's better to obey God or you. And you will have to make this, this decision in your life if you haven't made it. There's only two ways of living. You either will fear God or you fear man. That's it. As simple as that. Fear God or fear man. In all your decision makings, ask yourself that question. Am I fearing God or am I fearing man in this decision? It'll tell you where you're at. Don't compromise with the whore. The whore is trying to bargain with you right now just to be a silent Christian. Folks, the sin of silence is going to get you reprimanded by the Messiah. He said, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you at my coming. That's to believers. That's not to unbelievers. Accept losing your life. He says, whoever loses his life will gain it. What does he mean by that? You must be willing to give up your worldly reputation. You must be willing to give up the, 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 the ability to climb in your career. You're going to be hit, hit a ceiling because of your choices. And you have to be okay with that. That's called losing your life. The last thing I will say this is defend yourself. You have every right to defend yourself. This idea that I don't have to defend myself when people are making all kinds of accusations against me or, or saying crazy things about me, that's insane. I don't know what Christian teachers and pastors teach that. That doesn't come from the Bible. I want you to look what Peter said about this. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 15. But even if you should suffer for righteous sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats. Right? That's what Moses is getting. He's, He's being threatened, right? Nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to what? Give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 
having a good conscience that, they, that, that when they defame you and I, I'm talking about you and I right here, as evildoers, and that's what they're going to tell you, you, you and I are evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. And they're going to be ashamed at, at the great white throne judgment is what he's referring to. They're going to try to cancel you out by vilifying you, saying that you're the evildoer. Defend yourself, Peter is saying. Defend yourself with the gospel, with the truth. And that's okay. You can fight back in that sense. Argue back. And be like this guy. This is Robert Yunanwe. He's the CEO of Goya. You heard the story about this guy? His parents were, were, uh, I think his grandparents, yeah, his grandparents were immigrants from Spain. They came over to the United States and they created the company called Goya. And uh, this guy's been, uh, it's, it's his family. I think he's the grandchild. And he's the, the, uh, the CEO of it. Anyway, he was invited to the White House. And unlike all these other uh, companies that bow to the left, that bow to the, the, you know, the narrative out there, he didn't. He went to the White House. You think about these NBA players that win the championship, they won't even go to the White House or anything like that. It just, it's, it sickens me, right? But anyway, he's invited to the White House, and I want you to hear what he said. He says, it's such an honor and a blessing to be here in the greatest country in the world. The left doesn't like that. They hate America, right? But he says, no, it's the greatest country in the world, the most proper, prosperous country in the world, and we continue to grow. He's right. It is. The left doesn't want you to know that. That's what we're here to, do, here to do today. And then he goes on to say, Today it gives me great honor. And by the way, we are all truly blessed at the same time to have a leader like President Trump who is a, a builder. And that's what my grandfather did. He came to this country to build, to grow, to prosper. We have an incredible builder and we pray. We pray for our leadership, our president, and we pray for our country that we will continue to prosper and to grow. God bless him. Because you know what happened? He did that, made those statements, and the left went totally after him to boycott him. They just tried to shut down Goya, cancel him out, boycott him, try to ruin his business that his grandfather set up here in America. It's a very successful business, but they're trying to cancel him out. And you know what he did? He was on Fox and Friends and different other programs that came after that, after he got all that heat. From the left, and unlike Drew Brees, who gave into it, he came back and doubled down. He goes, I, This is a free country. I will say what I need to say, and it is the greatest country. And I'm not going to be backed down by these leftists. And he says, You know, the funny thing is, the Obama administration wanted to use my products for healthy eating. And he goes, no one had a problem with me going to the White House with the Obamas, but if I go to Trump, then I'm, I'm, I'm harassed and I'm, I'm getting ready to be canceled from culture. He goes, there's a double standard in America. And boy, he is right. God bless him. Today, when you go to the supermarket, you buy a can for just for Robert, okay? God bless him, right? Amen. Anyway, we got to go. Let's pray.